Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Second verse is from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And finally, from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word by the power of your spirit. We thank you for forgiving us, not just for giving to us, not just the simple gospel truths to believe in your word, but also practical wisdom in how to live as Christians. Father, I ask that you would open our ears and our hearts to receive your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. Well, this sermon is the fourth in a series of uh, sermons that we've given to you on marriage. The title of the series has been Reforming the Mess of Modern Marriage. Uh, my dad laid the foundation for you all, and now I get to come in and back clean up. Uh, no, it's, it's really wonderful to be able to uh, carry on in a series like this. Um, and uh, my dad really has laid the foundation for uh, explaining what marriage is, what marriage is for, and then what men and husbands are, and what men and husbands are for, and what women and wives are, and what women and wives are for, and what families are for, and how they represent, and how God uses them to spread the gospel into the world. And so uh, this, uh, this particular sermon is coming on the heels of all of that, with standing on that foundation. Um, one of the things we need to consider is, what do we do with that? On the one hand, there's been lots of practical application. I hope you have been applying those things to your marriages, to your lives. Even if you're not married, there's been lots to gather from it and to apply to your lives these last couple weeks. And this sermon, I think, is going to be even more practical and more particular application. And I hope it is a blessing to you. I once asked uh, Jim Wilson, who's been an evangelist and pastor for some 60 or 70 years, what he thought it would take to bring Reformation and Revival to America. What would it take to bring Reformation and Revival here, that we would see it? And without missing a beat, he said, Christians need to confess their sins. Christians need to learn to confess their sins. The reason that we don't see great Reformation and Revival, apart from God's planning of it, but practically speaking, why we don't see great Reformation and Revival in our land as of yet is because Christians don't confess their sins. It's not because the world doesn't confess their sins. It's because Christians don't confess their sins. Why is this? Why is it then that confessing our sins would be one of the things that God would use and has used historically to bring Reformation and Revival? The reason is, is when you as an individual, as a Christian, are living with a pile of unconfessed sins, you are simply not living as a forgiven person. Now, if you are a Christian, you are forgiven. You are objectively forgiven. God has wiped clean the slate, and you stand before him justified in Christ. But if you're not confessing your sins, because you're still a sinner, and if you're not confessing those things, then you are not living out that forgiveness. If you believe in Christ, you are forgiven, but are you living as if that is true? 
as if you truly are forgiven? Are you living out your objective justification in your day-to-day sanctification? One of the most potent witnesses to the gospel, as we've heard over the last few weeks, is faithful marriages. This is a very strong, potent, powerful witness to the gospel. That's what marriage is. And where marriages are not prospering, it is most often due to the husband and wife covering over their own sins. And so we've taken this thing that is supposed to be this glorious proclamation of the gospel to the world and we've made it impotent. Husbands and wives, we make it impotent when we don't deal with our sins between one another. And so I want to spend a few minutes here looking at these three verses that I mentioned and then we'll move on into some practical uh, principles and then some application of those principles. So first, if you have your Bibles, do look at Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 with me. Let me read it for you again. Proverbs 28:13 says, "He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy." The covering of sins is necessary, and we get that. We get that our sins need to be covered. This is why, uh, and we get this from a very early age, right? When a child uh, does something wrong, does, you know, uh, one of my um, things that I was forbidden to do as a child was to um, use the hammer on the kitchen table, And, and, and I did use the hammer on the kitchen table, and I went and tried to cover my sin because I knew that that my sin needed to be covered. It it needed to be taken care of. It needed to be hidden away. And so I went and hid in the most logical place I could think of, which was under the table. (laughs) Sin makes you stupid. Okay, so, but, but we all have this innate sense. We get, we know, we understand that sin needs to be covered. And that's why we lie to cover our sin. That's why we do other things to hide away our sin and to cover it over. The covering of sins is necessary and we get that. And when it's covered rightly, it's a blessing. Because sin is shameful. All sin is shameful. It's a break in fellowship with God. All sin is shameful and so it needs to be covered and we get that. But, but the proverb says that one who covers his own sins will not prosper. Hiding under the kitchen table doesn't work out very well. It's not a good place to be. It's not in fellowship with your family, right? And so if you're covering over your own sins, it, or, or step back for a moment, if you, if you look at your life and you think, things aren't really gelling for me in my relationships with people. I'm not really prospering as a husband, father, wife, uh, uh, um, mother, son, brother, Coworker, in all these relationships, if I'm not prospering, one thing to consider is that you have sin in your life that needs to be covered that you're covering instead of letting Jesus cover it. Because if you cover your own sin, you will not prosper. There's another proverb that says the, the way of the unfaithful is hard. The way of the unfaithful, the one who's covering his own sin, it's hard. It's tough. And we make it harder and tougher. And so because, because we know the gospel, if you've heard the gospel, if you've heard that Jesus came and died for your sins, then you know that they, they should be covered not by you, but by Christ. Your sins should be covered by Christ. We ought to, instead of covering our own sins, confess them. That means acknowledge them, admit to them. 
and then receive the blessing and forgiveness of the Lord. Turn back to Psalm 32 briefly. Psalm 32 is a wonderful uh, summary of what confession of sin looks like. What does it look like to confess my sin? Sort of the, um, the experiences around it. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So it's a blessing to have your sin be covered. Remember Proverbs 28, if you cover it yourself, you will not prosper. But if it's covered by the one who can cover sin, it's a blessing. Verse 2. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. What kind of deceit? Well, the deceit that would cover your own iniquity. The deceit that seeks to hide my own sin instead of confessing it, admitting it to God. And so we ought to seek after this kind of blessing and mercy that God promises in his word. This is why we read also 1 John 1.9. If you confess your sins, God is faithful. Faithful to what? To his promise when he sent his son to die for you. He's faithful to the baptism that he has placed upon you to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because we live as the body of Christ, then, we're, we're a bunch of Christians, and we're a bunch of Christians that also are still sinners, right? Because we live as the body of Christ and we sin in our community, we sin against one another, we are exhorted to restore others who are caught in their sin. This is Galatians 6.1. One of the means by which God uh, brings sin to light, one of the means by which God encourages his people to confess their sins is the faithful community calling each other out. But there's some specific and, and very important qualifications here. Let me read again for you Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We must, here's the, here's the qualification then. In order to confront somebody else in their sin, the first qualification is that you must be spiritual, Paul says. Now, by that, Paul does not mean you need to have this sort of out-of-body experience and, and depart from the physical world in order to confront somebody. No, he means be of the Spirit, be in fellowship with the Spirit. Be displaying the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. In a spirit of gentleness, it must be done in humble gentleness, considering yourself that you also might be tempted. You, you may be tempted to do the very same thing that this brother is doing, this sister is doing, that you're confronting. And, if, and, and we ought to consider that and humbly submit ourselves to God's word, knowing that, and then in a spirit of gentleness, confront them. And so basically, the motivation for confronting another person, and particularly in the context of this sermon series, your spouse, if you're going to confront your spouse and say, uh, my love, I, I believe you have sinned in this way. I believe you're wrong in this way. You've sinned against me or you've sinned against the kids. If you're going to do that, which you are actually required to do, if you're going to do that, you must first be spiritual. The, the motivation for confronting a spouse then needs to be your love and care for that person's well-being. 
When my wife is in sin, if I'm going to go and confront her about it, it needs to be because I want mercy for her. I don't want her to get caught in the trap of covering over her own sin. I want her to receive God's mercy like the proverb says. But I can only do that when I myself am clean. Like Jesus says, examine the log in your own eye before you go and deal with this other person's speck. You must be spiritual. So before you go and enter into that, into that um, exhortation of your spouse or of any other person, first do a spirit check. Am I spiritual? This is also a great application and so important for uh, raising kids. If you're going to bring that exhortation to your children, Tyler, you can't hit the, the table with the hammer. But before discipline comes, before that exhortation comes, first the parent needs to say, am I spiritual? Am I right with God? Am I exuding the fruit of the Spirit in my life in patience, kindness, gentleness towards this child instead of giving into this experience and this feeling of they're driving me nuts. We can't discipline that way. You can't exhort your spouse that way. You can't exhort if you're irritated or out, bent out of shape in any sort of way. You must first be spiritual, be of the Spirit. Most often our motivation comes instead of this concern for the other person's well-being, it comes from a desire to put down or shame the other. It comes from a desire to get even with. It comes from a desire to win in some other way. Which when you step back and think about it, is the stupidest thing that a husband or wife can think towards their spouse. You're one. You're one flesh. Why in the world do you want to win over your wife? Why in the world do you want to win over your husband? A house divided against itself cannot stand. And yet we so often give in to that fleshly desire to put the other person down, to win, to win the argument, to get on top, to, be, uh, to, to, to win in, um, in any sort of confrontation or, or um, snarl that comes up. I want to win. I want the other person to be put down. And we wonder why our marriages don't prosper. He who covers his sins, instead of dealing with your own sin first, covering it over by trying to deal with somebody else's sin, that person will not prosper. And so this kind of motivation, that motivation to put down the other or, or any such similar motivation, simply disqualifies you from bringing up an offense. If you are in that state of mind in any way, Shut your mouth. Don't go there. The wrath of man does not bring about uh, the, the um, I'm trying to quote from James, and I'm totally botching it. I'll just turn there. This is the problem when verses come to mind and they're not planned in my outline. No, I can't find it. All right. James, it talks about the wrath of man does not bring about the blessing of God. Something to that effect. Okay? The, the wrath of man does not accomplish God's uh, righteousness. It, it doesn't accomplish that confrontation in grace that it's supposed to. Your wrath doesn't do that. It disqualifies you. 
And so we need to learn what it means to confess our own sins and then also to forgive the other person's sins. To confess our own sins and to forgive the others, all of it rooted in the grace and forgiveness we have received because of the death of Christ. Before we go and confront another person, before you go and confront your wife or your spouse because of some sin that you see is evident in them, you must first be spiritual. And in order to be spiritual, you need to know how to confess your, your own sin. You need to know what it means to confess your sin to God so that he can cover it. You need to admit that you are a sinner, that you have sinned before God because he needs to cover it, because he has covered it. And that is how a forgiven Christian walks. That is how a forgiven Christian lives. Two Christians living together in the covenant of marriage ought to have and experience the joys of unity and fellowship in Christ. That ought to be normative among two Christians, two believers. The joys and fellowship of being together in Christ. But because both are sinners, that unity and fellowship is frequently broken. And it can be broken by the smallest of bumps, the, the trivialest of things. Right? You know that. Think for a moment of the last time that you got in an argument with your spouse and what was it over? How did it rank on a scale of importance? I, I have I put good money on that it was way down here, right? We, we get in tiffs and scuffles and bumps and arguments about all kinds of trivial things. So that fellowship is frequently broken. So what do we do with that? Uh, regularly, that, this means that there is a need for things to be put right. And this is what confession and forgiveness between a husband and wife does. So I want to lay out a few principles for, to apply then in confessing sin. I think, we've, I think it's demonstrable and I think you know in your own experience that this is necessary. If things aren't going well, if, if things aren't going well in your marriage, it, there's a good possibility it's because you're not applying confessing your own sin. First to God and then to your spouse. There's a good chance that if things are rough and rocky, the first place to start is examining your own heart. And confessing anything that remains unconfessed. Okay, so the first principle. And, and I should also say that um, for those of you that have sat under my dad's teaching for a long time, most of this is not new. Uh, most of it I'm just stealing from him or from Pastor Wilson and others and just um, giving it to you because I've been applying it in, in my marriage and God is amazingly at work. Okay, these things work, and not, don't just take my testimony for it, but there are, um, in this room and in other um, people that I know and love and respect, decades upon decades of faithful marriage, of faithful, joyful marriage. It's not perfect, but the difference is that these people have learned and have studied the Scripture and have applied Scripture in confessing their sins regularly. So take these things uh, to heart and apply them in your marriages so the first principle is name the sin. Name the sin. The Greek word for confess, uh, as it comes up in 1 John 1.9 that we looked at, if we confess our sins, that verse, the word for confess is a compound word that woodenly or more explicitly means to say the same. So if you're going to confess your sins to God, you're going to say the same thing about your sins that God says. If I'm bitter towards my wife then I need to say about that what God says about it. 
And in his word in Colossians, it says, husbands, do not be bitter towards your wives. So I need to say about my sin what God says about it. That's what it means to confess it, to admit to it, to acknowledge before the Lord that it's wrong. We need to confess our sins as sins with no excuses, no euphemisms, and no justifications. If I'm bitter towards my wife, I may say, I'm bitter towards her, but she really deserves it. She really ticked me off. She did all of these things. And if I do that, I'm not confessing my sin. I'm shifting the blame. I'm trying to divert God's attention from my sin onto all the things that my wife has done. God's attention is not diverted so easily. Okay? Confessing your sin means acknowledging it, admitting to it, with no qualification, no euphemism, no justification of it. We need to say about our sins the same thing that God says about them in his word. We need to name the sin. We need to call it for what it is. So if you spoke harshly to your wife, you should not go to her and say to her, I I need to say I'm sorry because I wasn't speaking very nicely to you. No, I was angry with you and I used words that were intended to hurt you. Please forgive me. And that's hard to do. That's humbling yourself before the Lord so that then you can humble yourself before your wife. Wives, if you've been nagging at your husband and and pushing him and pushing him and pushing him because he's not leading in some way, you don't go to him and say, I really wish you would lead. I'm sorry I've been nagging you, but would you please just keep doing these things? Would you please pick up these things that you said you were going to do? that's That's not confessing your sin. You go to your husband and you say, please forgive me. I've been nagging at you and and not submitting to you as my husband. Please forgive me. Period. Stop. Don't say anything else. We don't bring in other qualifications or justifications. There may be explaining that needs to be done. There may be a discussion that needs to be had. But don't have it when you're trying to confess your sin. Because again, then all you're doing is diverting attention. You're not actually confessing it. There's one other thing um, that I think falls under this principle of naming the sin. And it's in some ways a small thing, but it's important to note. And that is that we ought to include in this that you should not ask for forgiveness for things that God does not call a sin. You should not ask for forgiveness for things that God does not call a sin. And this is because if you're asking forgiveness, which would be an admittance of sin for something that God does not call a sin, then you are adding to the sin by lying. You're adding to the sin by saying, I sinned against you, please forgive me. And God says, no, that wasn't a sin. And so if you say that it was a sin in order to settle things, in order to appease things, to to quiet the other person down, just settle down, I'm I'm really sorry, please forgive me. And you're just doing it to, to appease the situation. You've now added sin to the pile instead of taking away from it by lying about the situation. And that can be really hard as well because sometimes there's a conflict between a husband and wife and one person is not budging and they're in sin because of the way they've responded to the situation. And you might say, I didn't actually do those things that you're accusing me of. I haven't sinned. And God says that I can't lie. So this, this comes up in things like you know, a miscommunication of some sorts. A uh, husband says, uh, I'm going to go to the grocery store. What do you want? She, and the wife gives him a list of four things, and he comes back with three things or five things, right? 
And, and, and in that situation, it's possible that he sinned, right? It's possible that he was um, not being kind to her and considerate to his wife and paying close attention, writing down the things that he needed to. It's also possible that something came up and it wasn't a sin. It was just an oops. The sin then often comes in her response to it. If she freaks out or nags him or lashes out at him, then that's where the sin is. And for him to confess a sin, if it wasn't sinful, in order to appease her and settle her down, because people are coming over, he's now added to the pile. He's lying about it. Don't confess what God does not call sin. But that's a very small minority of our situations. We should also add that, right? Okay. Very rarely does that happen. But it's important because I think, I think in the broader world, we're told that you should just apologize and just lay over if somebody says that you've sinned against them. Well, examine your heart. Are you spiritual? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you in the light? Did you sin? And if the answer is yes, then by all means, confess it. If you didn't, don't add to it by lying about it. But again, this general, the principle here is name the sin. And if sin is defined by God, then sin first should be confessed to God. David says in Psalm 51, um, again, another wonderful psalm of confession. If you want to learn, what does it look like to confess my sin? Go and read and pray through Psalm 51. But in Psalm 51, David says, against you, speaking to the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. And the sin that David's talking about is his organ, um, orchestrating the murder of Uriah the Hittite and his adultery with Bathsheba. And David says of that, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, I think it's obvious as we look at the story and we read the rest of Scripture, it's obvious that sin affects more than just God and that we are to confess our sins to one another, as James says. But uh, the, there's a primacy here. Your sin, first and foremost, fundamentally is against the Lord. It's a break in fellowship with him before it's a break in fellowship with, with anyone else. And so it needs to be confessed to him first. The vertical relationship between you and God must be restored so that the horizontal relationship can also be restored. So name the sin and ask for forgiveness. No justifications, no qualifications, just simple, plain, scriptural language. And this means also that um, saying things like, I'm sorry, um, while fine and good, is insufficient. Generally speaking, if you have sinned against somebody, if I sin against my wife by getting angry at her, and I go to her and I say, I'm sorry I was angry at you. Her response, um, she's much more gracious than this, but her response could be something like, well, that's very nice. I'm glad that you're sorry. It's good to be sorry about your sin. But there's no transaction of forgiveness that happens. And it's, and it's a lot easier to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry, than to say, please forgive me. It's really, it's much harder to go to somebody and say, please forgive me for getting angry at you. I intended to hurt you with my words, and that's wrong and God hates it. Please forgive me for that. That's much harder to say than to say, I'm sorry I was kind of unkind to you. One of them is an honest confession. One of them, again, is diverting attention, not really dealing with the sin. You're covering your sin. He who covers his sin will not prosper. So name the sin. 
Second principle, don't delay. There is, in the Proverbs verse, he who, confesses, he who hides his sins will not prosper, but he who confesses them receives mercy. There's an implied time element here. Covering your sin will keep you from prospering as long as you're covering it. As long as you cover your sin, it will keep you from prospering. But confessing it now renders mercy now. Covering your sin means you won't prosper, and that will last as long as the covering lasts. But confessing your sin, if you confess it now, then there's mercy now. In God's kindness, you really can get back in fellowship with your spouse as quickly as you got out of it. How long does it take you, if you, you get in the car after church, okay, here's practice, get ready, right, this is going to happen. You're going to get in the car on the way home from service here, and you were filled with uh, the glory of worshiping the Lord and the community of the saints and fed by his word and spirit, fed by the sacraments, and you go out, and something happens, and you snap at your husband. You roll your eyes at your wife, right? Kids in the backseat, you start bickering about something, Right? I know because I've been doing it for 30 years, right? Okay? So, how, how fast do you get out of fellowship? It, it doesn't take any time at all. You can get back into fellowship with your brother and sister in Christ just as fast. But it takes being spiritual. It takes humility. It takes confessing your sin and admitting your wrong explicitly. Paul exhorts Christians in Ephesians chapter 4 not to let the sun go down on their anger. Um, this is a, a good verse to look at, so go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. And what's fascinating about this is the implication that uh, Paul gives. Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And then here's the kicker, verse 27 nor give place to the devil. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give place to the devil. The principle here applies to all sins. Sins come in clusters. One sin, unconfessed, greases the skids for the next. Sins typically don't come by themselves. It starts with one, often, but as soon, I mean, you know this about yourself. As soon as you're bent out of shape about something, you're reacting to something your spouse has done, how long does it take for you to add other sins to that, other anger, other instances that you start bringing up? Sin comes in bunches. One sin greases the skids for the next. And, um, and so the principle here of don't go to bed angry. Again, this is wonderful, particularly... At, um, wonderful application, particularly for husband and wife. Don't go to bed. Don't go sleep in, in your room with one another and be angry. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because you're inviting the devil into your room. When you have unconfessed sin, that's what going to bed angry is like, right? It's, it's, I think in some ways that's, a picture, that's just a, a, a summary statement for unconfessed sin. If you have unconfessed sin, the wall of your home has been breached. 
And the question is, are you going to be a faithful uh, steward of your house, whether that's your individual space or your household? Are you going to allow the breach to remain and let the enemy come in? Or make the breach wider? Or are you going to confess your sin? Build back the wall. Sin should be dealt with immediately. Psalm 95, uh, in Psalm 95, the Lord says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you're confronted, if you're convicted, either by a spouse or by the Holy Spirit about your sin, deal with it now. Don't delay. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When in a bump or a, a tiff between a husband and wife where both parties are at fault, the principle here of don't delay is both should seek to confess their sins first. Often what happens between a husband and a wife is something comes up. And if it lasts long enough, both of them are in sin. Right? Both of you are in sin in the way that you have resented the other, in the way that you've spoken to the other, in the way that you didn't love the other in any of a number of ways. Okay? If it's not dealt with immediately, it goes on long enough, both parties are most likely at fault. Both parties are involved and tainted by the sin. If that's true, well, the principle here of don't delay, you've already delayed, so don't do it anymore. The principle is both husband and wife should seek to be the first to confess their sin. Because what's the temptation? They sinned against me. Yeah, I, I responded to it not well. I'll take care of that later. But they need to ask my forgiveness. He needs to apologize for that. She needs to ask my forgiveness for the way that she spoke to me. Are you spiritual? No, seek to confess your own sin first. And, and there's a, um, a wonderful... Well, let me back up. There's an interesting, I think, way to, to, to look at this. Um, husbands, fathers, you're the head of your household. You are responsible for the state of your home. So if there's sin in your home, especially between you and your wife, whose responsibility is it? It's yours. It's your responsibility to make sure that it is accounted for, dealt with, confessed, made right before the Lord insofar as you are able. It is your responsibility before God. And so that means if you're involved in it, if you have some of, this, some of the sin in the pile right here, well then, obviously, you should confess your sin first. Because you need to take responsibility. Because you need to lead your family in what it looks like to confess your sins. Do you want your wife to confess her sins? Show her how. Humble yourself and show her what it looks like to confess your sin, to name it with no euphemism, justification, no skirting around it. Okay, but I thought I said that both parties need to confess their sin first. I'm glad you asked. Wives, what's your role as a wife? What, what does the Bible say that your role is? One of the primary roles of the wife is to be a helper to her husband. In that moment, you might see very, very clearly that your husband needs to confess his sin. Well, why don't you help him? By showing him what that looks like. You could help him confess his sin by confessing your sin. It, th this is just built into the way that marriage works. 
the built into the way that um, uh, the, the union between a husband and wife is supposed to be. He's supposed to lead, she's supposed to help. Guess what? That means you both can confess your sin first instead of waiting for the other one to give in. Okay, so first principle is name the sin. Second principle, don't delay. Third principle, confess as if you were the only person ever to have sinned. Confess as if you're the only person ever in the whole universe to have sinned. Um, alluded to this already, but no um, real confession means no euphemisms. No soft language to kind of um, mollify how bad it sounds um, when I say that I actually lost my temper and got angry at you and intended to hurt you with my words. Okay, so, so no euphemisms to cover over that because if you cover it over, you will not prosper. Right? Remember the proverb. But also... We need to confess without any um, attempt to manipulate the other person. And I think that's really challenging to remember. Often God uses one person's confession to soften the hard heart of the other. It is amazing how this works. When there's a, something comes up between a husband and wife, so often um, the, the one of them that um, takes on the principle don't delay first, the, the one that actually applies that first, God uses that confession to soften the heart of the other. Please forgive me for the way I was speaking to you. It was unkind. I was angry. Please forgive me. I forgive you. You know, I also was speaking to you unkindly, and I was angry at you as well. Please forgive me. God uses one person's confession to soften the heart of another often. But it's not your job to make sure that God does that. Right? You're not allowed to confess your sin so that the other person will confess their sin. Right? And I'm not contradicting myself with what I was saying earlier about the husband leading and the wife helping. That's still true. But you may not confess your sin because you want the other person to confess their sin. You need to confess your sin as if you're the only person in the history of the world that has ever sinned. We know that's not true, but that's the attitude that you should have as you confess your sin. Our deceitful hearts like to manipulate God's kindness in softening other people's heart. We like to manipulate this by using our confession to get the other to admit that they're wrong. Because I really want to win in the end. I, I still want to put the other person down. And so here's a good test. Something comes up between husband and wife. You decide, I need to confess my sin. You confess your sin, and the other person says, I forgive you. And, and you're waiting. Okay, that shows you that you were not spiritual. You, you weren't coming into it because you wanted to make sure you were right with the Lord and then right with this other person. You were coming into it because you wanted something. You wanted to manipulate the situation. Confess your sin as if you're the only person in the history of the world that has ever sinned. If the other person has sinned to confess, you may, and in instances you must, bring it up to them, but only after you have honestly confessed your own sin, free of any motive to pin down your spouse. Again, remember Galatians 6.1. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. Okay, so first, name the sin. Second, don't delay. Third, confess as if you're the only person to ever have sinned. Fourth, 
Start with the top of the pile. If, if you are cleaning out your garage, or you know that you need to clean out your garage, you step into the garage, and right, your eyes get as big as the bike wheels that you're seeing there. And you just think, I, there, I just don't even know where to start. There's no way I can clean this out. I'll wait till next month. You close the door and walk away. That's what it is with our sins very often, right? If you've not regularly been confessing your sins by putting into practice that principle, don't delay, if you're not regularly doing that, well, then you have a pile. And that can be a pile of years, and it could be a pile of months, it could be a pile of hours, right? At the end of the day, if you haven't been confessing your sin immediately, um, I, I can rack up quite a list in a day, right? And if you're not confessing them, then it's just the pile's just growing. It's just growing. And this is particularly um, noticeable when it has happened between a married couple. When a husband and a wife have lived together and been married for a number of years and they have not put these things into practice, you end up what, with what we might call a cluttered marriage, there's just stuff everywhere. Okay? So what do you do? If your marriage is in this kind of a state, it really can be overwhelming. But God is gracious. Um, God, uh, I, I think as Jim Wilson likes to say, God takes us not from where we should be, but from where we are. Right? God doesn't meet you and, and require of you, um, you should be here, so that's what I'm going to require of you right now. In one sense, that's true. There's principles, scriptural principles that we need to apply. But at the same time, God knows your frame. He knows your rebellion. And he meets you right there. He says, here you are. Let's just start with what's on top. So you walk into the garage, and you grab the baseball bat that's right at the top of the pile. Then you chuck it out of the garage because you're going to clean it, right? Okay. You just start with what's on top. It is overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. And the temptation is to look at the pile, close the door, walk away, and not deal with it. It's too much. Well, you're right. It is too much. But don't delay. It is too much for you to handle. So don't try to handle all of it. Start with one. Can you confess one sin? Can you confess one time you spoke angrily to your spouse? Can you confess one time you lied to them? Start with that. Watch God bless that. Okay, and then take what's next. It's like peeling an onion back, right? You can't get to the layers on the inside until you start with the outside layers. Start peeling it away. Don't delay. Don't try to move the whole pile right now. Just start with what's on top. Once you've committed to keeping short accounts, that's a, a good phrase, I think, for this kind of thing, right? We understand keeping short accounts in, in a business sense. I don't want to rack up a lot of debts, right? Because then I'm, I'm, I'm not going to prosper. I'm in a very fragile place. Well, that's true for your marriage as well. Sins are like debts. When you've sinned against somebody, you owe them a confession. And when you've confessed it, they owe you forgiveness too. But you've racked up a bunch of debts, 
So keep short accounts. When you have com- once you have committed to keeping short accounts, accounts, and you've begun the work of decluttering your marriage, I think it can be helpful to have some house rules or fences for your marriage. These are really practical things to put in place to help you practice keeping short accounts. Um, I have five of them here, and again, these are not, I didn't come up with these, but they've been particularly helpful to me and my marriage, and I've seen them in place in other marriages as well. These are the kinds of rules that a couple can adopt and should adopt, I think, to hold one another in order to hold, hold one another to in order to keep the pile from building back up. So if you've begun the work of keeping short accounts, maybe you're already putting that into practice in your lives, or today you're beginning and you say, I'm, I'm going to begin applying these principles. I'm going to name the sin. I'm not going to delay. I'm going to confess as if I'm the only one that's ever sinned. And I'm going to um, just start with the top. If you've committed to doing that, then here's some rules or just general um, practical handles to help you with it. Number one, don't separate with unconfessed sin. Okay, if, if you sin against your wife, don't go to work. If you've sinned against your husband, don't go grocery shopping. You don't leave one another with unconfessed sin. Why? Principle number two, don't delay. Right? Don't put it off. Because your grocery shopping is not going to prosper. Right? Your work is not going to prosper. You have unconfessed sin between you and your spouse. Don't separate. But I really need to get to work. We, you know, what if you have a fight with your wife every morning before you go to work? It's just become routine. It's like making the toast and I pour my orange juice and I fight with my wife and then I'm on my way. Okay? If that's true, well then either you're going to have to suffer the consequences of being late to work a few times. Or you could just confess the sin. Don't delay. You can get back in fellowship as quickly as you get out of fellowship. That doesn't mean you have to solve everything right then and there. But if you've sinned, confess the sin. If you've sinned, confess it. And then say, okay, we need to have a follow-up conversation about this because maybe it, maybe it was a bump that had to do with who was doing pickup from school or taking people to the baseball game. Well, that happens, and those things do need to be sorted out. You don't have to solve everything right there, but if you've sinned in the way that you were engaging in that conversation, confess the sin, say, I'll call you at lunch so we can sort that out, and then you can go. But don't leave with the sin unconfessed. So that's that's the first one. Second one, don't have people over to your home with unconfessed sin. We've, um, at this church, we emphasize the, the need for Christians to practice hospitality and the blessing that, it, that that is to the host family and to the families that come over. But don't invite people into your home if you have unconfessed sin. Because then you're lying. I'm just this, we're just this happy family and everything's wonderful and we really get along with one another. And, and you and your wife and all your kids know there's all this junk in the closet. I hope nobody opens it. It's starting to smell. Right? No, that's high hypocrisy. Don't let people into your home with unconfessed sin. And we live in Seattle, and it's raining frequently. And they're at the door. Apply principle number two again. Don't delay. There's no reason you need to keep your guests waiting out in the rain. Humble yourself, confess your sin. Then invite them in. Don't have people over with unconfessed sin. Number three, don't go to someone else's house 
with unconfessed sin. Right? You're in the car together, and, and again, like leaving church, you get in some sort of a tiff, and you're driving on the way to somebody's house for dinner. Before you get out of the car, before you walk in their house, take care of it. Why? Because you need to not delay confessing your sin. Sin comes in, cl- in clusters. As, as you have sinned against your wife, it's going to grease the skids, and so more sin is going to happen while you're inside. Don't delay. Confess it now. Confess it while you're in the car. I spoke unkindly to you. Whatever it was. I wronged you in this way. Please forgive me. Okay, so don't don't have people over with unconfessed sin. Don't go over to someone else's house with unconfessed sin. Don't go into church with unconfessed sin. Confess it. Deal with it. And then come in. Same sort of principles there. Number four, don't have sexual relations with unconfessed sin. Obviously, this is just an application for married couples. But don't take what God has given as a renewal of your one flesh vows with unconfessed sin. Again, that is high hypocrisy. Confess your sin. Again, you can get back in fellowship as quickly as you got out of it. Don't delay. Take care, with it. Take care of it immediately. Last principle, or last uh, um, um, rule here. If you are in public and something needs to be confessed, let's say you're at somebody else's house for dinner and something does happen while you're there, um, uh, you, you say something that you know offends your spouse. And maybe nobody else in the, around the table noticed it, but you know it, and you know that she knows it, and she knows that she knows it, and you can just feel the eyes, Right? Well, if you've done that, how are you going to apply principle number two? Because if you wait until you're back in the car, how many more sins are going to have piled up? And how is that dinner going to prosper? Okay? So how do you apply that? Well, one, this is a simple practical application. You can do this any of a number of ways. But have some sort of a signal between you and your spouse. That means, please forgive me. And, and the, that when that signal is given, it needs to be answered. You can't pretend to not have seen it, right? <laughs> no, forgive one another, right? Have, have some sort of a signal that says, I know that what I just said was wrong. Please forgive me. And they know that that's what that means. And then they respond with, I forgive you. And then, again, you may have to sort some things out when you get in the car, but at least the sin has been dealt with. You've been restored to fellowship. You can enjoy that dinner. You can enjoy your marriage in presence of others together. And it's wonderful. And so, here, just to summarize all of this, um, by faith, be ruthless against your own sin. By faith, be ruthless against your own sin. You don't let it get out the door. But not because you're storing it up, but because you're offering it before the Lord Jesus Christ. Be ruthless on your sin and gracious to your spouse. These rules are things that you apply to yourself. You can encourage your wife, you can encourage your husband in these things, but you apply them to yourself. And then in Christ, your marriage will be glorious, and it will be a ton of fun. A couple that treats sin in this way will prosper. Faithful Christians are not sinless, but faithful Christians are dealing with their sin. Faithful Christians are not sinless, but if you are a faithful Christian, you are dealing with 
with your sin. And this is true in marriages too. Faithful and joyful marriages are not sinless. If you look at um, uh, uh, couples in this body or other Christians that you know and you think, wow, I want a marriage like that. They are so joyful. They clearly love one another. It's not because they're sinless. It's not because they have some magical power. It's not because they got it just right. That's not what makes a marriage, a Christian marriage, joyful, faithful, and lovely. No, it's because they've learned to deal with their sin. Faithful, joyful marriages are not sinless, but they are marriages in which sin is swiftly dealt with and in which sin is swiftly forgiven. Love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus taught us to pray that God would forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Most of this sermon has been about confession of sin. And if I could, I would just go right into a sermon about forgiveness. But I'm hungry and you're hungry and so I won't. But forgiveness is definitely a a huge important part of this. Jesus taught us that to pray to God, that we sang in the Lord's Prayer, that God would forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. God, would you forgive me in the way that I forgive my husband? Wow. And Jesus warns us that if we refuse to forgive, neither will the Father forgive us. That's heavy. And yet in Christ, you have great promises that you have, in fact, been forgiven much. And if that is true and you truly believe it, then you are ready to love and to forgive much yourself. And so in the dance of Christian marriage, there should be an abundance of honest confession and joyful forgiveness because you have been forgiven. This is how we show the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world through our marriages. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Father, your mercies toward us are new every morning. We have much to learn. We have much to apply. Teach us to seek after your mercy and your grace, which you love to give. Teach us to seek after it immediately, to seek after it daily. Teach us to live, to confess our sins, and to forgive others as forgiven people. Father, we ask all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.